the feeling of wanting to commit suicide or, or violence, things like that, they have to deal with that on a day-to-day -day basis as well as worrying about their own lives uh, because when they're in the field, they're not allowed to carry weapons. I didn't know that, but they're not allowed to carry sidearms. So they actually go out into the field to minister to people without any means of, of protection, things like that. And uh, just, again, we really need to, uh, to pray Pray for our, our, our military, pray for those who are serving in the military, pray for the, uh, those who are ministering in the military, and uh, really the, the spiritual situation and demand uh, that is put upon Christians uh, who do serve our country. So uh, we, we should continue to really pray for that. Another thing that really um, struck me, and this is relating to our sermon this morning, is this idea of hope. As uh, some of these people, most of these people are older people, and um, I heard a lot of stories of men and women who literally have endured uh, a tremendous amount of pain. I mean, tremendous amount of suffering uh, for the ministry. And the one thing that did come up almost consistently was this idea of um, prodigal children, whether it was their own children who had walked away from them um, or they themselves as Christians who had walked away from their parents at a certain point in time. And, and I was thinking, you know, at our church, we think our kids have some problems or whatever, but when you hear these stories, uh, their stories, um, they're really um, gut-wrenching. They're, they're heartbreaking uh, in terms of some of the things that, that they've had to endure as, as parents just praying for their children and what their children go through. But their stories were also stories of tremendous hope. And it just reminded me, and I just want to share with you as parents, um, that we just stand and, and we pray for our children. We pray for our children faithfully and we never give up. I mean, listening to these stories again, you know, you, you would think there are certain times when these kids and you say, man, we just give up. There's no hope. You know, my kid's too far gone, or the things that they've done, how is God ever going to do anything in their lives? And, and, but, but when I hear these stories, I just am reminded that, that, that the grace of God that is poured out on the lives of sinners, um, we're just beginning to understand the measure of God's grace for his children and, and for us as parents who, who know what it means to have children that, 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 that don't, you know, that turn away or that do things that, that break our hearts. Uh, that's how God, if we're gonna be ambassadors for the gospel of the gospel of grace, I, I really believe that God is making sure that, that we ourselves experience the depths of his immeasurable grace so that we might be able to, 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 to bring this, this gospel of grace to others. And, and so there's always hope. I'm gonna share that with parents right now. If, if you're grieving or you're struggling, you're fearful, just, just know that, that you be a parent, you be a father, you be a mother who just continues to, to faithfully pray for your child with hope and really believe no matter what they go through, you know, throughout their lives, that, that, that God will pour his grace out on these dear ones, these ones. He never forget, he will never forget them. And even what they go through, he will love them 
and he will just continue to pour his forgiveness out. Now again, for, for kids here, for you youth, as you hear this, and you might get this idea that, well, I'm gonna try to help my parents appreciate more grace by doing crazy stuff. Uh, I have a word for you, especially again, for those of you who are graduating, because I know when we graduate and we get ready to go to college and we say, oh, now I have this opportunity to be on my own, to do the things that I wanna do, and, and maybe uh, not have to do the things that my parents have always forced me to do, and, and yeah, maybe I want to uh, try this or try this or not have to do this or whatever, things like that. And I would say that that's not really, um, that's not experiencing the grace of God. That's actually uh, testing. I'm really serious here. This is testing the great and holy God who has poured out so much grace, on your, so much grace upon your life. And if you test the holy God of grace and love, the, the, the one person who is the source of your life, um, you will experience his discipline. I don't know how else to say it in a, in a nice way, but we don't want to experience the discipline of God. I pray that we will never have to experience uh, this discipline of God because God really does want to be uh, your father who loves you, who sees you grow, who sees you uh, become a, a great man and a great woman of God. And you know that your parents are praying for that. That's what you don't even, I don't even have to ask your parents and I know that's what they're praying for you. And, uh, and so you don't want to be working against those prayers. So uh, again, it just, um, I'm just really excited for our church, and I'm really excited that we continue to walk in the, in the goodness and the grace of God, and that God's going to do some marvelous things among all of us together. So let's go ahead and let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we um, praise you uh, because of your grace, because of the, your story of redemption, Lord. And we think about uh, redemption and what Jesus, what you did for us through Jesus. Father, we praise you and we thank you so much that uh, God, our sin, uh, our sin was so great and is so great at times. And sometimes if we just sit and think about it and we wonder like what type of rebellious children that we have been and what we have done. And yet Father, we look to you and we say, God, thank you. We praise you. We cannot understand why you love us so much and why you continue to pour out your grace over and over again, filling up our lives, allowing us to walk with you, not just walk with you, but to serve you, Lord, to be a part of your kingdom movement, Lord. And Father, we praise you and we pray that we would be men and women, whether we are young, young people, youths, young adults, college students, parents, grandparents, that Father, we would continue to walk with you to experience your grace, that even in the suffering and struggle that visits our lives, that we would always look to you and know that there is hope because of how much you have already loved us through Jesus Christ. And Father, I really want to pray for all our graduates who will be moving on to, to college especially, and as they have the opportunity to, and the freedom to make choices, Lord, choices that will even determine the whole future or direction of their lives, God. I pray that, that your spirit will be actively at work in their hearts, helping them and convicting them to make those right choices, Lord, to follow you and trust you in, in, in the important choices in their lives, 
Lord, that they might shine for you and love you with all their hearts, Lord. I pray for those in the, the military, Lord. We think about Elliot, who is serving right now, of Dominique, who's going to be serving, Lord. And, and Father, um, just knowing how hard it is, what, what particular challenges that they face in terms of being a, a follower of Jesus Christ in the military, Lord. Oh God, we pray that you would have a special grace upon them, a special protection upon them, a, a special strength of the Holy Spirit that they would continue to grab hold of their spiritual lives, take ownership of it, and stand firm. Stand firm against all of the um, attacks of the enemy, not just physically, physical enemies, but the spiritual enemy that is, that, that's fighting them day to day, Lord. And so God, we pray for your blessing and your strength upon their lives, Lord. We pray that together as a church, we would be a community that would stand behind every person, stand together with every person, that we may fight this good fight together, that we may shine this light. We know that, uh, that this is not a walk in the park. This is not an easy thing. This is not just, oh, the, 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 the difficulties that I'm going through. This is a fight that all of us are going through for, for the souls of those who have yet to come to know you as Savior. And so, Father, we pray that you would prepare us together to be that community that will stand, not divide, but stand together so that we may be able to, 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 to be those good servants of God in this world that really needs the hope of Jesus Christ. And we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to be continuing in our study of the book of Ruth, and we're talking about um, God's faithful love. That's in the Hebrew word. It's God's hesed. And hesed is defined as the faithful love of God, this idea that God, when God makes a promise, even way back in the Old Testament, when he makes a promise, that he will never fail that promise, that he's committed to his promise from generation to generation. Even if we don't see it in our lives, God will continue to be faithful even to the generation that survives us, that goes beyond us. This is the faithful love of God. And we saw that God's faithful love is seen in these two women, Naomi and Ruth, who had lost literally everything, everything that they love or given up everything they love, and yet they continue to show the faithful and sacrificial love of God towards one another. We saw that these two women returned to Bethlehem after being in Moab and they tried to survive by literally scavenging scraps from the fields for their daily uh, food day to day. And from a human standpoint, you look at them and say they have no um, advocate. They have no protector. No one to care for them or watch over them. No, net, no safety net to fall on. Uh, they have no future. Nowhere to turn. But the one thing that they did have was they have God. They had a God who never forgets his love. Towards the f and, and he is faithful to his love. No matter what they have done. No matter what they have gone through. We saw that there are no coincidences that God in his sovereign plan led Ruth as she was scavenging for food. Led Ruth to the field of Boaz who was a distant relative of Elimelech who was a potential provider which she didn't even know that. And Boaz expressed God's hesed 
towards Ruth, his kindness, his protection, and his prayer of blessing. And he said to Ruth, he said, may the Lord repay you for the kindness that you have shown towards your mother-in-law, that you have given up everything to accompany her and provide for her needs. May you receive a great reward from the God of Israel under whose wings you have taken refuge. That's his prayer, that's his prayer of blessing to Ruth because he knows of what she has sacrificed for the sake of her mother. And today we're gonna see that ironically, Boaz himself is going to be the answer to his own prayer. And we'll see uh, the hope of redemption. Now a lot of us um, as believers, and maybe we've been believers for a long time, we often think of redemption as something that has happened in our past. This is what God has done for us. He has redeemed us, he has saved us. But today, we're gonna see how God's redemption is vital, to, is a vital part of our daily walk with Jesus even now. So I'd like you to turn with me to Ruth chapter three, verse one. Ruth chapter three, verse one. And let's stand in reverence for the word of God. Let's stand together. And this is the word of God from Ruth chapter three. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you may it be what, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, now he is winnowing, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And so she, Ruth, replied, all that you say, I will do. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Okay, so this is a very interesting um, scripture. What does this mean? Well, the main idea involves the connection. We're going to look at the connection between God's hesed, his faithful love, and the redemption of God. See, this story of Ruth, the whole story of Ruth, is not a story about, you know, like a fairy tale. It sounds like a fairy tale, you know, a happily ever after thing, but really it's a story about redemption. It's a story that reminds us that, that God is a God of redemption, that he has lovingly and graciously purchased our freedom from the bondage of sin. And so in this passage, there are two things we want to look at in regarding to God's hesed and redemption. First, we want to look at the key elements of redemption. You know, what are the, the, the specific, specific parts of redemption? And the second thing we want to look at is the implications of redemption. What does that mean to me as a follower of Jesus Christ? So let's look at the first, the elements of God's redemption. Now, the first thing we want to see is we want to start with God's initiative, God's desire to stay saved. That's redemption begins with God. Now, see, this is important because, see, we live in a world right now where spirituality and the spiritual journey often begins and ends with who? With me, right? With us. We say, what am I looking for in my life? You know, what do I want? What am I gonna get out of this? And, and we say, oh, what can God do for me? What is his plan for my life? What is his will for me? How are things gonna turn out for me? That's what we're thinking of a lot of times. That the story of Ruth reminds us that the spiritual journey actually must start and end 
with God. And that's how our redemption began. It's not we were like looking for God and, and trying to find God and figuring out our redemption. No, it begins with God seeking us and making our story uh, his story. So we saw on the first day that, that Ruth, she, she gleaned in Boaz's field and, uh, and she came back with a, an ephah of barley, meaning she came back with a lot of barley because, because Boaz said, hey, you can come and I'll give you protection. He even told his workers, say, leave some extra sheaves on the ground for this one lady. And so she came back with about five times as much grain as what would be expected for a day's work. And she comes in, holds this huge bag. And of course, Naomi looks at this and says, okay, something's going on here. This is not, this is really weird, you know? And so she says, hey, whose field, okay, tell me whose field did you actually work in today? And Ruth says uh, to her mother-in-law, she says, this is this guy named Boaz. I don't know who he is. And, uh, and Naomi says, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well for you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were, were, you were with? And, and here's the thing is that Naomi's face now lights up because she's like, oh my gosh, Boaz? Again, out of all the hundreds of fields that she could have picked to glean in, she picked um, Boaz, who is a relative who actually is a potential uh, savior, in a sense, for them as, uh, as, uh, as two widows. And so you can kind of picture Naomi's face suddenly lighting up, her renewed motherly love, if you want to say, and you can imagine her going, go, 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 quick, let's, let's, I'm going to do this for you, let's, let's put this on, let's, let's get all ready, shouldn't I be looking after you and getting you a husband? She's like, wow, you know, I, you know, this is my role for you, I'm going to get you a husband. She's like so excited. Now, remember, I want you to contrast this with Naomi when she first talked to Ruth, and she's going back to Jerusalem, uh, to, to, to Bethlehem. What does she say to Ruth? She said, she said, Ruth, if you follow me, she said, leave me. Because if you follow me, the only thing I will give you is sorrow, grief, and regret. There's nothing I can provide for you. I will ruin your life. And if you follow me, there's no hope for you because everyone who follows me has no hope. I have no hope. I don't want you to have no hope when you follow me because I have nothing to give you. And that contrasts here with this verse where Naomi literally does a 180 and says, whoa, you know, shouldn't I as a mother be the one who provides happiness for you? Uh, let's get going. Follow my instructions. Hurry up. And we say, wow, what caused this change all of a sudden in, in her life suddenly? have this change from saying, you know, I can't do anything to, now I can, I can do everything for you. It's the hope, it's the realization that God has not forgotten his promise of love. That, 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 that Naomi now has an opportunity. God is actually graciously, when Naomi says, you know, I blew it for, for my family. I literally blew it for my family. By leaving Jerusalem and leaving God, I ruined my family. So what do I have, what right do I have to ask of God that I can provide anything for them because I'm a failure? What right do I have to ask of God that I could ever provide anything good for, uh, for, for Ruth? And yet God in his grace is saying, I have not forgotten you. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have gone through, no matter whether how much you failed, and she did fail, I will not forsake my love for you and for your daughter. 
and I will continue to extend my grace to you. And this is a really a picture of, 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 of the first element of redemption. It's, it's a sense that God takes initiative to pour his grace out and say, it doesn't matter where you are or who you are or what you have done, I am always extending this possibility, this hope, that you could still be a part of my plan. That, that, that's really what, what, what Naomi is, is now realizing in her heart. Second element of, um, of the plan of redemption involves a bold step of faith, faith and obedience. In verse three, uh, Naomi says, here's what you gotta do. You know, as a mother, you know, I know this stuff, okay? You know, I got married, I know how to get married, I got my sons married, just follow me. You know, just follow my instructions. And she says, wash, anoint yourself, Put your cloak on, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. And Ruth's going, uh, okay, that sounds good. Verse four, when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth goes, what the heck? <laughs> That's weird. No, she says, all that you say, I will do. And she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded. Now, we need to realize here that Ruth is a foreigner, okay? She's a Moabite. So she does not know anything about Jewish tradition. See, see Naomi is telling Ruth to follow Jewish tradition of, of, of courting or of redemption. And, and Ruth is like, okay, um, sneak up to him at night <laughs> and lie down at his feet and then let him tell me what to do. That's all I gotta do? And, and you know, it's like, okay, you know? Um, but Naomi, but Ruth trusts Naomi, right? She follows her directions. See, how, how does this relate to God's redemption? Well, God's redemption requires um, faith and obedience. See, we, 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 sometimes we feel uncomfortable with um, this idea of saying, um, and he will tell you, he will tell you what to do. You look at the verse here, uh, verse four. He will tell you what to do. And, and the, Ruth could say, well, what is he gonna tell me? He says, don't worry, he'll, he'll tell you what to do. He says, sometimes we see God's redemption and, and, and we have to deal with these words. If you come to God and you're seeking salvation, you have to listen to what God will tell you what to do. And we're like, well, uh, what if I don't like what God's going to tell me to do? What if I want um, redemption or salvation or forgiveness in some other way, you know, than what God tells me to do? And uh, the book of Ruth is really saying to us that, hey, if you, review, if you refuse to obey God's instructions for salvation... I mean, his specific instructions of this is how to be saved, then we're refusing God's chesed, his faithful love, and then we will not, we will not be saved. Because salvation, redemption, requires obedience. And so we see here that Ruth follows, um, follows God's instructions. There's faith and obedience. And then the tension now in the narrative is how is Boaz going to respond? You know, to act in kindness towards a foreigner is one thing. I mean, he was very kind to her, saying, I'll give you this and give you that. But to marry her, okay, that's something else. 
you know? And so, Mo, and, and again, why Ruth would not be a great candidate? First of all, Ruth is a Moabite, she's a widow. Moabites do not have a great reputation in Israel, so that means when you marry her, everybody's gonna look down on you. Second thing is that everybody's gonna say, you're gonna die too, just like her husband, her previous husband, because you're disobeying God. Look what happened to him. He disobeyed God, he died, so you're gonna die too. That's probably what people would say to Boaz if he married her. Uh, Ruth um, has no dowry, no, no uh, material gain. A lot of times marriage was for material gain. It was like you gain the inheritance from the father, things like that, but what kind of inheritance is, is he gonna gain? He's gonna gain debt, because they actually do have land, but that land is under debt. So he would have to incur all the debts of paying that land to bring it back into the family. That would be his responsibility. So actually, he's not gaining anything from this. He's actually paying out. He'd be paying out of his inheritance to, to, to marry this, this Moabite, who would also bring not just bring him down financially, but bring him down socially, bring him down you know, in the society. And so the question is, how would Boaz react to uh, Ruth's, um, I guess Ruth's, what do you call it, entreaty to marriage? You can say, well, is this a proposal? It's kind of a proposal, but not really. Uh, so, so we look at verse eight, and um, Boaz wakes up and he says, he finds Ruth and he says, who are you? And Ruth says, I'm your servant. And she says, spread your wings over your servant, uh, for you are my redeemer. Okay, I haven't put this on here yet. Um, but it sounds like a demand, like Ruth is saying, you know, do this. But actually what she's doing is she's putting the ball in Boaz's court. She's saying, okay, you're a kinsman redeemer, so I'm asking you if you would be willing in your mercy to redeem me. And so there is this tension now. What is Boaz going to do? How is he going to respond? Is his hesed going to be big enough to take on this tremendous uh, 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 sacrifice to love her? And Boaz responds and says, may you be blessed, uh, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for you have made this last kindness better than the first that you have gone, not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen all know that you are a worthy woman. And this really pictures, you know, God's heart of redemption. That, that, that when children come to him in faith and obedience, when the sinner comes and says, God, after all that I have done and after all that I am and the fact that I have nothing to offer you, I'm asking you if you will, in your mercy, redeem me. And, and if we're worried, how's God going to respond to that? Ruth, this book of Ruth says, God's going to respond to that with great delight and joy, that there's no question, no hesitation, that he will redeem us. That as far as, as, as we have seen, looked at the, the, the kindness of God, the, the initiation of that kindness, God has a heart to save, and Boaz says, this is my heart, I will, will save you, I love you, and, um, and, and this is expressing the heart of God. And so, um, now he says in verse 11, something, Interesting. He says, and now my daughter, do not fear, for I will do for you as you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. 
But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Now, this adds, again, another kind of tension. It's like Boaz says, well, there's another guy, actually, who's a closer redeemer. And according to the law, I can't really just take you as my wife. I have to actually go through the, the letter of the law, the requirements of the law, to, uh, to, 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 to work this out. Because there's another person who actually has claim on your life right now, legally has claim on your life. And if this person agrees to redeem you, I have to give her give you to him. And and he's saying, well, we don't know, you know, what we don't even know who this guy is. In fact, in the whole book of Ruth, they never mention what this guy's name is. So you don't know what he's gonna be like, how he's gonna treat her. He could like treat her like a slave, he could abuse her, anything. I mean those things happen in you know those times. And uh, but yet if this person agrees, he has the right. And so Boaz is essentially stating that there is a requirement of the law, a requirement of justice, a requirement of punishment, and so a requirement um, uh, to be fulfilled in order for me to redeem you. And so uh, we turn, when we look to God for salvation, and God says, yes, I want to forgive you, I want you to be my child, but you know what, there's a requirement of the law that I must be a just God that I must punish sin. And so how will God um, fulfill this law? And um, so we look at it, and uh, Naomi says to her, she, Naomi, uh, Ruth tells Naomi the whole thing, and Naomi says to her, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns, for the man, meaning Boaz, will not rest, but will settle the matter today. He'll take care of it today. Now this is a confident statement of Boaz. We talk about confidence in God. Now, Naomi says, do not fret. Don't try to do something in your own strength because Ruth's a little panicky here. You know, what should I do? Should I go knock the guy off, you know, or should I, well, you know, get rid of this guy or should we make sure he's out of town or something like that? I said, no, don't do anything. Just sit and wait. Because why? Because I have full confidence that Boaz will take care of the whole matter as soon as possible. I don't even know Boaz. That's what Ruth is, Naomi said. I don't even know Boaz, but I have confidence that he will not fail to do whatever is necessary to redeem you. He will not rest. He will not go to sleep. He will not let another day go by until he has settled and taken care of everything in order to redeem you. And this is the character of God. This is what uh, Naomi, this is what the, the book of Ruth tells us about God in his redemption, that God has already shown through Jesus Christ that he will not cease, he will not rest until we are redeemed. He will not wait another day and say, oh, well, you know, you, I'm gonna let you suffer a little bit because, you know, that's the type of person you are, you know, you don't really deserve this, so, I mean, you know, honestly, we do that to our kids, but, you know, gonna let them squirm a little bit, you know, say, you gotta learn your lesson, I'm gonna let them, you know, you know how we are, sometimes parents just say, okay, let's, let's wait and see what happens, you know, let them squirm a little bit and figure it out, you know, uh, that this is not a good thing, you know, and, and God's saying, well, no, I'm not gonna make you squirm, I'm not gonna make you, you know, fret, when it comes to something as important as redemption, that when it comes to saving your soul, making you a child of God, forgiving your sin once and for all, I will take care of it right now. 
It doesn't matter what the cost is to redeem it. I'm not going to sit and think, hmm, you know, when we think about disciplining our kids, well, how is this going to be? Because it's going to take me time. I'm going to have to miss my appointment. I'm going to have to do this and that. And we say, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll, do, I'll take care of it tomorrow. God says, no, I, it's going to cost me my son. He doesn't sit and say, hmm, is it worth it? What am I going to get out of this? No, he says, cost me my son to fulfill the law so I can save you, you, me. God says, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it right away. There's nothing that will stop God from his redemption. Nothing we have to do to say, oh, what do I do? Do I have to do this? No, God says, I got all take care of. You don't have to run around. You don't have to do anything because of my hesed, because of my uh, redemptive love. You have confidence in God. Now, what does this all mean? Uh, We'll do this really quickly. What does this all mean? Well, it means, first of all, that he will never uh, reject you. God is offering his kindness of salvation today. And the, the next thing that it tells us is that um, you always have hope. I mean, the thing is here is, is for uh, Naomi, what changed her? You know, she said, I'm Mara. I am, uh, I am hopeless. I am nothing. I am uh, what is called um, uh, terrible. My name used to be beautiful, but now my name is bitter. Why? Because of all the terrible things I have done in my life. And God is now against me for the rest of my life. That's, that's really what she thought. But God is saying in this one instance, no, your name is Naomi. Your name is beautiful. Why? because I still love you, because I'm still gonna give you this opportunity to bring blessing and redemption to your daughter-in-law. Okay, that's, that's a beautiful thing to be able to say, when I thought that, that I could do nothing for God, that I was under the curse of God because of the things that I have done, because I'm not as good as so-and-so up there who's serving God and doing all these wonderful things, and I'm not that good, and I've done all these things, and people look like this at me, and the whole town is looking at me saying, I'm Amara, and God says, no, you know what? You're still, um, you're still gonna be an instrument of blessing to one person, you're going to have a key role in teaching Ruth how to, uh, to approach a redeemer so that she will receive her salvation, so that he will someday become, she will someday become what? The great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. So that, that God will save the whole world through you. So don't think you have no hope because of what you have done. Naomi has every, every reason to believe she had no hope for what she has done. And no second chance, no third chance, no fourth chance. Because I ruined my family. I did all the things wrong. And God says, no, I'm gonna make you a key part. Not just bringing redemption to your daughter, but bringing redemption to the entire world. So don't ever give up on the love of God. Nobody give up on the love of God. On, 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 on what he can do through you because of his hesed, because of his promise to you from the day you were saved, from the day you were born, that he has called you out for a purpose, for his love, for his mission. He will never forget that promise. And no matter what we do and how much we fail, God says there's always a hope because, I, because God always keeps
keeps his promises. Second thing we look at, our mourning, our time of mourning is over or will soon be over. A redemption is coming. When Naomi was running around saying, oh, you know, should I not provide this for you? Should I not do this and, and get dressed up? She's not just saying, okay, look pretty so that, you know, Boaz will like you and respond in a positive way. She knows this is all God. What she's saying is technically she's saying, your time of mourning is over. Because they were in this position that I'm Mara, I'm mourning, I'm going to wear sackcloth and ashes, I'm not going to wear a beautiful dress anymore for the rest of my life because I'm in a time of mourning because God's judgment is on me. And Ruth, because you're with me, you too are going to have this, this visage of, of mourning in your life for the rest of your life because you, unfortunately, my daughter, have inherited this, this curse of God upon your life. So, so you're, you're going to be in a time of mourning for the rest of your life. But what God is saying, what God is saying here is, uh, Naomi, you take off. Take off that, that visage of mourning. Take off that name of Mara because your name is Naomi. Because the time of rejoicing is coming. Because redemption is coming. And this is this picture of, of mourning will soon be over. We think about our lives right now and we say, man, my life, I, I'm just mourning over the sin and the struggle and the difficulties that are in my life right now. And Jesus, God is saying to you that rejoice, have hope because there will be a time when your mourning, your time of mourning and suffering will be over and you'll be clothed with the redemption of Jesus Christ and he will make you more beautiful than you ever were before if you thought you were beautiful before and now you feel like I'm even worse now I'm worse than I ever could have been and I can't see us getting any better God says time of mourning is going to be over maybe it's going to be still a few months maybe it's going to be a little bit longer and maybe even it may be the rest of your life but even at the rest of your life you're going to stand before Jesus and you're going to take off this clothing, this, this human body of mourning. And you're going to put on redemption, the beauty of Jesus Christ. And that is going to be you forever, forever. Because, because God says, I will never forget my promise to you. That's the promise I made to you at the day that you were saved, that no matter what you go through and what you do, by the end of your life, you'll be a beautiful creation in Jesus Christ. And I will not forget that promise. Final thing is live with confidence. Believe in God's redeeming heart that he who did not withhold his only son, will he not also give us all things? You know, we look at this and we say, you know, how did God save you and me? When at the point where, where I put my faith in Jesus and I confess my sin and I ask God to enter my heart, how long did I have to wait for God to save me? How long did I, what other things did I have to do? For God, God didn't say, okay, this is great, uh, just do these five things and come back to me and you'll be saved. Or just, you know, I'm going to do a few things and I'm going to work out some things and then you'll be saved. No, he said right away, once we, once we put our faith in Jesus as Savior, God says, boom, I'm, I'm going to save you and I'm going to make a promise to you straight up front. Even before, I know you're going to do all these things, but I'm going to make a promise to you straight up front that you're going to be with me in heaven and you're going to be clothed in glory, and you're going to be part of my plan, and you're going to be beautiful and rejoicing and, and more than you could ever expect or imagine when this life is over. And you can count on me, God, saying, this is my promise to you, and you live with this confidence that if I give up my only son, 
to save you. That I will not withhold anything from you that's going to get you to where you need to be when you stand before Jesus. That's the hope that we have. That's what we celebrate as we take the communion. And so I want to invite everyone today as we uh, consider the communion, this is um, a symbol or a reminder of what God has done through redemption. He gave his son, he gave his body, Jesus suffered in his body, he shed his blood so that we might have this redemption. Not so that we have, say, I have a testimony that I was saved, you know, this is my testimony of 10 years ago. No, that this is my testimony right now, that I have this confidence, that I have this hope, that I believe in this God that says that that, that I will always be his child, that that my mourning will someday be over that I have a confidence in the, in, in, in the redeeming heart of God. No matter where I am, no matter what I have done, no matter what I'm going through right now, God never, he never fails a promise. And he made that promise to every one of us who has put our faith in Jesus as Savior. He made that promise. And so as we come forward, if you're, if you're a believer, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, as you take of these elements, you declare, you actually declare Jesus until he comes. So we declare these truths about our lives to the world, about God to the world when we take this communion. So we invite everyone to come and, and have a time of prayer. And then as you come, please just take a, go ahead and, and, and take the elements and join with somebody and, and pray together. Just praise God. Praise God for his redemption. All right? So let's go ahead and let's have a time of prayer.